0: Here's another study from Calvary Chapel Rochester. Uh, last week, I didn't talk a whole lot about really, you know, what uh, Brooke and I do, but we have a ministry called Water Worship in the Word, and um, basically, the Word of God is the the foundation. Of our ministry. But also part of that, and the major part of that, is discipleship, which we're going to talk about today. Today we're going to look at discipleship, the calling. You know, everybody's called to be a disciple, but everybody's called to disciple, I believe. And then there's actually a cost. Discipleship doesn't come easy. There's a lot that God wants us to realize that, you know, we need to do without, that we need to have a change of heart, a change of life, Jesus even says, you know, if you don't hate your mother and your father and your brother and your sister and your family, then you can't be my disciple. And we're going to talk about that because it's not the same kind of hate that we we look at today. It's not like, I hate you. But then the final thing is the blessing of discipleship. I think back in uh, 1989, Brooke and I became Christians. I got uh, saved uh, listening to Uh, Calvary Chapel Radio K-Wave in Southern California, and God brought four uh, guys into my life, a plumber, a painter, electrician, and a fellow project manager. They all told me, you know, the problem with your life is you don't have Jesus, and you need Jesus. It's like, yeah, whatever. But then finally, it just struck me one day. It's like, yeah, I need Jesus. But it wasn't until Brooke got saved about three months later, and we were attending Calvary Chapel Seal Beach, and we started going to the New Believers classes. And the New Believers classes, they set out a foundation for us. You know, who is God? Who is Jesus? Who is the Holy Spirit? Uh, why do we need the Bible? Why do we need to pray? What, what is giving all about? What is tithing? And so some real, real basics. And then, and then we took another class, which went a little bit deeper in all those subjects. And then we took another class, which is called discipleship. We went through navigators. And then we took another class. And after the first 10 months of being Christians, basically, the first year for me, but the first 10 months for Brooke, we were inundated in the Word of God. And we had a handful of people that were investing in our lives. And so every week, at least once a week, we were meeting with them and going through scriptures in a group setting, but we're going through scriptures and asking questions, stupid questions. But I, mean, I can't tell you how many times people laughed at me because of the questions I asked, but I just I had all these questions. I mean, I was a heathen. I didn't know any better. I I didn't know Christianese. I didn't know, you know, this or that. But God really did a work in our lives because we really committed ourselves as disciples. And we realized that, you know what? The drugs, the alcohol, the old friends, we had to do away with them. Even some of our family members, you you know, we didn't like, totally set them aside, but we we chose who we were going to spend time with because we were at a really raw age as Christians, and we really needed to to be around people that could set us in the right direction. The third year of our, our walk with the Lord, we got involved with a ministry called New Life, or actually the second year, New Life Beginnings. And in the third year, we actually moved in to the home. It was a home for pregnant women. I think I talked about it a little bit last week. But it was out of force. It wasn't because we chose that. It was because we were homeless. And God just was just cutting things away and taking things away from our lives. And in that year, I uh, started reading some books. And I found this book about discipleship and how it's really a lost art and how, and how the church has just, you know, let it set aside. This was a book that was um, actually authored in the 70s. So I read it and I thought, you know, I'm still a pretty new Christian. I've only known the Lord three years, but I bet you there's someone that doesn't know as much as me. And so I prayed, okay, Lord, you know, bring someone into my life. And Jody Tucker showed up. Jody Tucker was about 20, 22 years old, and he had a 15-year-old girlfriend and he got pregnant. And he was scared. He thought, oh, man, I'm going to go to prison, you know, because California, they have statutory rape laws. And so he brought her to the shelter and, you know, we started discipling her. Then God had me start to disciple him. Then after him, there was another guy and another guy and another guy. And God just started bringing people into my life that I would disciple. And after a while, I I asked Brooke, I said, do I have like this big L over my head for loser? Because it seems like all these people that come here are just losers. You know, it's like these guys have just some of the weirdest problems. And, and Brooke said, like, well, you know, honey, it's because you have a gift. You, know, you listen to them, you you care, and they, and they, they feel like they like, you, know, you can help them. And, and you do, you really, can they love them and they can tell you love them. And so, I wow, that's that's pretty cool, you know? But see, I never came up with this plan or this program on how to discipleship. I just said, you know, Lord, I am a disciple. Now I want to disciple. And that didn't stop there in California. You know, we moved to Des Moines, Iowa, and we planted a church. And we knew that our calling was to disciple the body of Christ. So we discipled people to raise them up and to send them out. Raise them up and send them out. And then we left there and we went to Central America. And, you know, same kind of thing with that. You know, we're disciples, so let's just pray that God will bring people in our lives started bringing gringos into our life. We were in Central America in a surfing community, and all of a sudden, before we knew it, we had all these displaced you know, expats, these gringos that were lost. I mean, some of them were really weird. I mean, some of them were really, really out there in left field, didn't know what they were thinking. I mean, their, their biblical basis was just crazy. But God put Brooke you know, around a bunch of women and put me around a bunch of guys, and we discipled them. And then we moved back to the States. We thought, you know, you know, I've been traveling and teaching inductive Bible study, but I feel like I'm missing out on something. I feel like you know, God has really called us to a specific ministry. But, you know, just going and teaching pastors here and teaching the church there, it's, it's not what God's called me to do. He's, he's called me to invest in people's lives. So we started Water Worship in the Word. And the whole idea behind Water Worship in the Word is to disciple. Yeah, we go places, we travel a lot. But, you know what, we, we keep going back to the same places because we want to be a part of their life. We want to take them through the different steps of discipleship to, to see them grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And right from the bat, right off the very beginning, we encourage them to disciple other people because that is needed in the body of Christ. If you've never had anybody take you into their life and, and let you be a part of their life and just teach you scripture and talk about the Lord and, go out and minister together, then you know what? You're really missing out. And if you've never done that to someone else, then you're missing out. So my encouragement here today is that let's look at discipleship. You know, really, how we're called to do this. But then, really, what the cost is, but not focus on just the cost, because there's a huge blessing. I can't tell you how much I've grown discipling other people, because they ask me questions. They go... I don't know. Let's see what the Bible says. You know, we study together and we still maybe can't find all the answers. So we said, well, let's talk about it again next week or tomorrow or whatever. And we're always just going through things and it keeps me sharp. It keeps me on my toes because people want to know. It's not enough just going to church on Sunday, going to midweek service or teaching in Sunday school, which by the way, is part of discipleship. But God wants you to be praying You know, who can I invest in? Amen? So let's pray. And uh, we're going to start out in Matthew 28. But let's ask the Lord to bless today. Father God, we just thank you so much that you are a missionary God, that you love the world so much that you sent your only begotten son. And Father, I thank you just for the example of discipleship that you give us through Jesus in this three, three and a half years on this earth, taking 12 surly guys, fishermen, Uh, terrorists, tax collectors, greedy people, fleshly people, but investing in them and just watching uh, their lives being transformed. So, Father, we just uh, look to you, uh, we trust you, and we know, Lord, that this isn't done by our own might nor our own power, but it's done by your spirit. So we pray today, Lord, that you would just come and fall upon this room with the power of your spirit that you would just quicken our hearts and our minds to receive your word and that we'd be equipped to go out, Lord, and do your word. So, Father, we just thank you. Thank you for what you're doing and thank you for what you want to do. Here we are, Lord. Use us. Send us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we all know the Great Commission, right? Uh, Jesus says here in Matthew uh, 28, verses 18, 19, and 20, he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus says, I'm the authority. I'm the authority, and I'm giving you the authority. And I'm even commanding you to go. You know, many of you aren't like Brooke and me. Our going has been like crazy going. You know, we've lived many different places and we've traveled many different places. Many of you have lived in the same town and maybe in the same house pretty much all your life. But you're still called to go. But where do you go? Well, first of all, you go to your family. I think the biggest problem that we have in the church today is that People aren't discipling their kids. Husbands aren't ministering to their wives, and I, and I look at the example that we that we have, you know, in so many people, and you see like the the fruit of that. That you know, it's it's crazy that we don't. There's this guy in in England. I, I think it was Jonathan Livingston, or what, it was one of his great preachers. But someone did a study and they looked at his life, and looked at his heritage, and looked at his lineage for like five or six generations and there's doctors there's lawyers there's government officials there's nurses and they contributed in a huge way to the the country of England and they took one guy they found one guy that was just an ex-con he was a rapist he was a murderer he was a thief and they followed him for the, for like five generations and the whole family was messed up They were rapists. They were prostitutes. They were drug addicts. They were drug dealers. They were just messed up people. And they cost the country of of England millions of dollars over those five generations. But one of the things I think is the biggest problem with us is that we think that I don't know enough or, well, I'm not a teacher like you, so I can't do that. But here's how simple it really is. As husbands as fathers, it begins with us to go to our kids to go to our wives. And you know, we don't have to be scholars. All we have to do is just make a time every day to pray with our wife. And that's a blessing. You know, there's times when I'll, I'll go for, you know, days of praying with my wife and all of a sudden I, I look at her and I go, something's off. She gets that kind of wild eye, you know, look in her eye. And I go, okay, I haven't prayed with her. You know, I need to pray with her. Or she says, you haven't prayed with me for months. I go, Okay, it's only been a few days, but yes, we'll pray, and we and we read the the Bible together. You know, we have a lot of time because I'm laid up and I'm I'm pretty lame these days. But you know what? Even before that, when I was working full time and I was pastoring full time, we spent time together. We sometimes there's only five or ten minutes, but we prayed together, and we read the Bible together, and that that's really helped our relationship immensely. When my daughter was growing up. She was four years old when she got saved, when we got saved, and so she, from the very beginning, of her memory, you know, she and I would have devotions, and so we, I'd get a little a little book on, you know, what it was like to you know, be a kid, reading the scripture, reading a story, and then talking about that. She got into her teenage years, and she became a young adult, and I did that up until she left the home, and it's really cool because she's a missionary now, you know, she loves the Lord. Is she perfect? No. Does she have difficulties? Yeah. But then I look at my grandkids, and I look at my son-in-law, and ever since they were babies, just, you know, crawling, he's read the Bible together with them. And I would, you can ask Martha. She was back there last week. And I says, how are my kids? She says, man, they could have taught the class. You know, they, they knew all the answers. You know, they're, they're really good. Well, because Daddy has been spending time with them and they pray together, it's simple. The Bible studies are simple. They're, they're kids' Bible studies, but he asks them questions. They read a story, he asks them questions. And so, and when I look at these examples, just in my, my life and the people in my life, I say, praise the Lord, because I'm hoping and praying at a young age, and my, my kids, my grandkids will come to know the Lord, because you know we've taken this seriously in our family to go. And, and so it says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. To make a disciple, it's the same word that's used in verse 20. It says, teaching them to observe. So to make a, a disciple, you teach them. And as parents, we always teaching, right? No, don't touch that. Come here. When I say come, come, get your hands off that. Don't touch that, right? That's part of the teaching process. And kids are like sponges. You ever see your kids do stuff that you don't want them to do? And you go, oh man, it looks just like me. <laughs> and we teach them by our example. So as kids see us go to church, kids see us reading the Bible, and we're reading the Bible with them, we're teaching them, we're discipling them. So it's the go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things which you, which I have commanded you. So if we're going to teach others we need to be a student if we're going to teach others we need to be a disciple we need to be disciplined the root word for disciple is discipline we need to pray that the lord would discipline us and, and so much of the time we look at our lives and we think man i'm a loser or gosh i'm really blowing it but you know don't beat yourself up that's the enemy trying to lie to you he's trying to he's a, he's a liar he's a thief he wants to steal your joy the thing we have to do on a daily basis, you know, which I would encourage you to do, is you, you wake up in the morning and you say, Lord, give me your heart and give me your mind. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Before I even hit the ground, almost every morning I pray, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit that I could just be a vessel for you today. When I do that, I know I've got a good day going. When I don't do that, I know that I'm going to get sidetracked. Or I, as I'm sidetracked, sometimes you go, you know what, I didn't pray this morning before I woke up. Or before I got out of bed and got up. And God is always faithful because it's the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at that today as we go through the cost of discipleship. And what's, what's the answer? Because you can't do it. You know that? That's okay. You can't do it. But the Holy Spirit can do it through you. All he wants is willing vessels. All he wants is men and women that give themselves over. So you willing to do that? Let's look at what God's word says about discipleship. So um, let's go to chapter 16 of Matthew, verse 24. We're going to be doing some uh, Bible gymnastics here, so be prepared. We'll be primarily, though, in the Gospels of Luke and John. 16:24. Jesus says to to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's not an easy task. Self-denial, is it? Uh, It's so funny. You know, when I look at Tobias, my uh, four-year-old grandson, he is like almost 100% me when I was that age. It's all about him. You know, it's me, me, me. You know, I want to do this. I want that. Touches things, grabs things. It's all about him. Our granddaughter is the same way. It's all about them. You know, that's the sin nature of man. But Jesus says, deny yourself and pick up your cross daily. It means die to yourself. When we we look at our lives, it's like, you know, as men especially, you know, a lot of times it's like, hey, you know, I'm the king. This is my castle. And I make the rules, You know, I want dinner at this time. I don't want any of that green stuff. Just meat and potatoes. You know, whatever it may be. It's always about us and what we want. But Jesus says, deny yourself. So the first thing we say is, honey, how can I serve you? A lot of times I ask my wife, how am I doing? Am I doing okay? Because she's the best, best critic that I have. She knows when I'm on task. She knows when I'm not. And she's... Honest with me, lovingly honest. She says, well, you've been kind of grumpy lately. Okay, work on that grumpiness. Lord, kill me. (laughs) Help me to deny myself. Kill my flesh. Put my flesh to death. So as he says here, back in, in Matthew 16, verse 25, he says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Totally contrary to the world, isn't it? The world says, you know what? Go with your heart. You know what? You need to just really seek what's, what you desire. But Jesus says, no, lose your life. Lose your life in me because you'll find it as you serve others. You ever been depressed? Anybody ever been depressed? Gosh, I, I have been. These last seven months, there's been a few days. I mean, praise the Lord, God's been my rock. But there's been a few days. Like when they, I woke up from surgery on June, 20, on June 5th and Dr. Cass said, uh, sorry, man, we didn't finish the surgery. We cut the ball off. We packed everything you know, with antibiotics and stuff so you're without a hip for at least six weeks. I went, what? Uh, okay. I was depressed for two weeks. That's like, the most depressed I've ever been in my life. But then, you know what? Finally, I went, you know, why am I being such a baby? Yeah, I look at these guys that can't walk. I look at people you know, in third world countries. I think back with all the people I've seen that are a mess. This is just a short term. This is what God wants for me now. Okay, I need to deal with this. Lord, give me strength because I need you to give me strength. So Jesus says to deny yourself, to lose yourself, and then he'll find us. Now, as I said earlier, you know, we need to hate our family. Now, let's look at what that means. Let's look in Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, verses 26 and 27. It's a hard saying. Jesus had many hard sayings, and people at, at some points had, had stopped following him because he, he made these hard sayings. But he says here, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life, also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, let's look at the word hate here. In, in the Greek, it just means love less. And you know, we need to love our family less than we love Jesus. We need, let's put it in a positive. I need to love Jesus. I need to love God. I need to love his word. I need to be obedient to his commands more than I love my family. I have to make some unpopular decisions sometimes. There's been times in the past where Brooke was like, what, really? We're going to do what? And then I go, well, that's what God wants us to do. It was really cool is that early, early on, Brooke said that she finally came to this realization that being submissive to me meant that she was just being submissive to God. And if I got it wrong, I had to answer for it. All she had to answer for was being submissive, even though I was being wrong. So, you know what? Over the last 30-some years, she hasn't been argumentative. She'll question me, and we'll talk about it. But she's found that part of dying to herself and hating her life and seeing her life as less is really focusing on God, that God's going to speak to me, and hopefully I get it right. I think I got it pretty good, haven't I, honey? Maybe at least 90% of the time. So, so it's like, you know, we, we have to realize that, you know, who is our mother? Remember Jesus, you know, when he was in this room in Capernaum, and the people came and said, hey, your, your mother and your brothers are outside. He says, well, who's my mother? Who's my brother? It's him who does the will of God. So when I got saved and my wife got saved, we had some pretty surly friends. They were all, all of our relationships were based on drugs and alcohol. People just partying all the time. We said, you know what? We need to cut off those relationships. Even our family. You know, some of our family members, we, were, we partied with them all the time. We said, ah, we need to stop that. And they're like, you guys are no fun anymore. My mother-in-law said, yeah, you know what? You guys used to be fun, but now when you come over, it's like, you know, it's no fun at all. You guys aren't fun. I was like, Sorry. So we said, you know what, we're just not going to come around for a while. And then they were like, hey, why don't you come around? So <laughs> well, you guys say we're not any fun. You don't, you know, you don't like you know, that we talk about Jesus. And, you know, we need to be who we are. We're going to talk about <laughs> Jesus. And one of the things that we realized early on is that, like especially with my mother-in-law, is that she was Episcopalian and she did some Lutheran stuff too. But she was very religious. And God said, love her and treat her like she's a Christian because she talks about God, even though she doesn't believe the way you believe, just serve her. So we started going to her house, and we started serving. You know, we'd clean the house. I had her give me a, you know, honey-do list every time I'd come over, so I'd fix this, I'd adjust that, because my father-in-law had, you know, hip replacement surgery. He was, couldn't do much. He was almost blind. And so we just started serving them. And it was funny. We went from being no fun to, she said, one day, she says, you know, when you guys come to our house, it's like you bring a peace. And said, well, you know what, Marilyn, that's because of Jesus. Jesus does that. And he's called us to come and serve you guys and love you guys. And by the time she died, you know, she died of, uh, of cancer. And she was on her deathbed and her, her granddaughter led her to the Lord. But I think it was just because of, of our example as part of it. And that God just said, love her. Server, deny yourself, even though it wasn't, fun, it wasn't fun for us to go to their place because they'd argue all the time and, you know, they still would just say things You go, oh, we don't want our daughter to hear that. But God blessed it. So who's your mother? Who's your father? You know, are, you, are your kids really causing turmoil in your family? You know, are they old enough to be on their own? Let them be. Let them go. And don't let them come between you as husband and wife. They, they need to be out of the house if they're doing that. You know, is there is there a need to break off your relationship with your mom or your uncles or your aunts or your cousins because they're dogging on your your spouse? You know what? Break off that relationship. You know, your spouse, your kids, your Christian family, that's more important. Amen? That's part of being a disciple is... Yeah, getting around other believers. Now, let's look in Matthew fourteen thirty-three. Well, Actually, we'll read the rest of this. It says, For which of you, intending to build a, lower, a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest, after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes out with 20,000. Or else with the others, is is, is it still a great way off? He sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's a great cost. Forsake all. My house isn't my house. My car isn't my car. It belongs to God. My life isn't my life. It belongs to God. That's the mentality that God wants. And I can't tell you, Pastor Don can't tell you, no one can tell you how to live that life. But as you and I listen to the Holy Spirit, we're going to see here in a little bit that it's the Holy Spirit that teaches us. It's the Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us. It's the Holy Spirit that shows us how to live this life of discipleship. The key is to have ears to hear and be obedient immediately. Not to sit back and think, that's weird. Oh, I can't do that. Man, if I do that, someone's going to think that I am... No, to be obedient immediately. In John 13... Jesus talks about love. Let's turn over there. John 13. You know, one of the things that is kind of a joke in the Calvary chapels is that we say, and people will know that you're a Christian by your dove. You know, we got the dove. No, it's not the dove. Jesus says here in verse 35, he says, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So as a body of Christ, are we really showing love to each other? You know, when a brother falls and a sister falls, are we loving them or are we condemning them? When a a new believer comes in and they're not wearing quite the, the right clothes, you know, they're not talking quite the right Christianese, do we condemn them or do we love them and help them through the process? Because, you know what? God doesn't care if we do the right things all the time. I know I know. may be contrary, but God knows the end result. God knows that in the beginning and even throughout the process, we're going to get it wrong. We're going to do wrong because of our flesh. But as we could persist and we love each other, then we can help people through the process. And then in chapter 15 of John, go to verse 1. This is a, the I am the vine and you're the branches passage. But in this, uh, let's look at verse four. It says, abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Abide means to stick close to. It's the same kind of uh, phrase or the same Greek word we get, the word abode, like an abode, a house. It's like living in this situation. I have to live in a situation. I have to live in such such, such a way that I'm sticking close to, to Jesus Christ. I'm not letting go. I'm listening to his word. I'm abiding in it. I'm obeying it. It says in verse seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. So as you look at our lives, we, you know, we look and say, okay, Lord, am I bearing fruit? I think introspection is good but i don't think that we should go so deep all the time that we just are letting the enemy beat us up but introspection once in a while saying okay you know like i asked my wife how am i doing i say lord how am i doing and i look at my life i say lord you know, look at my life and what what fruit am i bearing is it bad fruit cuz we can bear bad fruit you know as we can bear small fruit but lord i want to bear abundant fruit jesus talks about if we really abide in him, that will bear 30, 60, or 100-fold. Yeah, maybe not, I'm not a 100-fold person. I'm a 34 fold person. Maybe I'm a 10-fold person. Maybe I, there's not a lot of fruit in my life, but I'm doing the best that I can. Praise the Lord. That's all God asked. Be obedient and do the best you can. It's kind of like, what about Bob? You guys ever see the movie, What About Bob? Bill Murray It's really stupid. But, you know, you know they talk about baby steps. You know, take baby steps. Just a little at a time. You know, you just if you can just do a little bit at a time, be obedient in the little things, God's going to bring more fruit to our lives. But again, you know, the how of it is through the Holy Spirit. And you know, we're here in John 15. Let's go to John 16. Look in verses 5 through 15. And and this is the key, guys. You know, we, It's not God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. As we cling to the Holy Spirit, as we ask for that filling, that fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, it's like, Lord, direct me today. Lord, direct me in this moment. Lord, direct me right now. He says, but now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. His... Disciples are bummed out. They're like, Man, this has been a great three and a half year gig. I just I'm really enjoying myself with Jesus. We get some free meals, you know, and see a few miracles, and it's kind of cool. Because they didn't get it. You know, they still thought, you know, I'm gonna be the greatest. Don't know I'm gonna be the greatest. I'm gonna be the first in heaven. But he says to them here, he says, But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my father and you all, and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judge. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak of his own on his own authority but whatever he hears he will speak and he will tell you things to come he will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you all things that the father has are mine therefore i said that i that he will take of mine and declare it to you in luke jesus tells us that you know as a good father if your son Ask for a piece of bread, you're not going to give him a rock. If he asks for a fish, you're not going to give him a serpent. If he asks for an egg, you're not going to give him a scorpion. No, you being evil, give your son good things. So how much more will the, Holy, will the Father give you the Holy Spirit if you just ask? Yeah, don't be afraid of what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Be excited about what he wants to do. You know he's the third person of the Trinity he's not an essence, he's not a force he's not an it. he is the Holy Spirit. He is the power of God and when we give ourselves over to the Holy Spirit, sometimes he's going to have us do things that are really uncomfortable he's going to have us say things that aren't comfortable. Jesus says here later on that you know as we Go before magistrates. Well, let's let's look at it. Let's look at Luke 12, uh, 8 through 12. Luke 12, 8 through 12. Also, I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him, the Son of Man, also will confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Okay, let's stop there. That's is very important about being a disciple. There's no reason to be ashamed of Jesus. It's really been kind of a, a, a neat thing in my life. But uh, when I was working full time, I always brought my Bible to work. Because before I had my smartphone. Now I re- just bring my smartphone everywhere and I read the Bible on my smartphone. I used to think that was lame, but gosh, I love technology. It's, it's, I, I can get different versions. I've got a study Bible in there so I can look at Greek and Hebrew and all this stuff. But I can remember I was just a brand-new Christian. I was at El Pollo Loco in Anaheim, California, and I was reading my my Bible. And this woman came up to me and she says, is that a Bible? I said, yes, it is. I, I read it every day. And a lot of times I get up at five, 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning and I don't have any time to read, so I bring it with me so, And I I set a time time at uh, lunchtime to read it. She says, that's so encouraging. You know, I've been a Christian for like six, seven years, and I'm afraid to read my Bible in public. I was like, really? That's kind of lame. I didn't say that, but I was thinking that. And it's like, wow. You know, but she says, but now seeing you do this, you know what, I, I need more courage. I said, well, just pray. God will give you the courage. So doing things in the name of Jesus Speaking things, speaking truth. Now, you know we don't just always say the Bible says. There's been many times I've quoted the Bible, and people say, "Wow, that's pretty profound. Where'd you get that?" He said, uh, "Paul the apostle," or Solomon the king. You know, he's quoting out of the epistles or quoting out of, out, out of the Proverbs, but using the Word of God and not being ashamed to say, "I'm a Christian." I had my uh, when I was saved. It was not even a, a year in the Lord, and I was promoted to president of this division of a home contractor in Southern California. And the, the VP of construction came in and said, "Hey, because yeah, he was my boss, he said I, I want you to lie." I was like, oh. "Said oh, I can't lie. This is not a meeting." And then he had someone else on the on the speakerphone who was the president of another division. Says, well, can you lie for me? He goes, oh yeah, I I'll say whatever you want me to say. Well, a month later, I lost my job. They they said, oh, he's not good enough for us. He won't lie. But I said, I can't lie. I'm am a Christian. And, you know, God has changed my life. And he's like, uh, you know what? That's your church stuff, but this is work. I said, no, there's no division between church and work. And it just blew my my boss away. And I didn't. Think of it. I, just, I never thought of anything else because everybody told me, always you know, preach the gospel, always be willing to give every man an answer, always you know, speak you know, the truth. And I did, and I lost my job. But God gave me another job, and you know, so it was all cool. But you know, don't be afraid to speak forth your relationship with Jesus. He goes on here back in John and says, And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. Now, when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. You ever been in a situation and all of a sudden you start speaking and you go, well, that was good. (laughs) Thank you, Holy Spirit. That's his job. But, the way to do that, the way to, to make sure that we're saying the right things is to be a student of God's Word to read God's Word, to study God's Word, make it your daily habit. You know, get on a reading st- program, you, know, you know, read through the Bible. I, I, I don't know how many times my wife and I have read through the Bible now, but you know, we, our goal is to read through the Bible every year. Sometimes what we'll do is we, we do it differently but we used to read through the New Testament a couple times, read through Proverbs several times, read through Psalms at least twice, and then read through the Old Testament once. Uh, sometimes it takes a year and a half, sometimes it takes two years for the Old Testament because, you know, you start going through Numbers and Leviticus, and it's like, okay, really? <laughs> but you get power through it, you know, you just, get, just read it. And it's because we have the Word of God hidden in our hearts because we, we know that we're able to, to bring things forth and say things that... We didn't realize we were there, but it's because in the deep recesses of our brain, God has brought it up. And it's not just us. The reason we do this is because there's other men and women in our lives. When we first got saved, said, this is what you need to do. You need to daily read the Bible. You need to do these things. You need, Everything I'm telling you now is what I've been told from the very beginning of my walk with the Lord. And we've done it, and we've seen it, and we've watched other people do it. And it works because God's word says to do it. So being obedient. Now let's go back to John 14. John 14. In verses 15 through 24. It says if you love me, keep my commandments. Okay, I want to see a show of hands. How many people here love Jesus? Okay. So do we always keep his commandments? I don't. I try. You don't have to raise your hand because I know you will, You don't. And if you don't raise your hand, I you know you're lying. And so, you know, but that's okay. But that's our, our desire. But it says here, and I will pray to the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. So you know, it tells us in, in Romans, you know, that... Even if we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit's praying for us. Jesus says that he's praying for us. We have the, the Son and we have the Holy Spirit interceding for us. In the Spirit of truth, he calls in verse 17, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. As believers in Jesus Christ, if you've said, I submit my life to Christ, I confess my sins, I repent of my sin, and I want to follow Jesus. As a believer of Jesus Christ, you're a repository of the Holy Spirit. He dwells within you. But it's kind of like you know, someone who has a, uh, a Porsche Carrera, or Carrara, however you spell, say it, and you have 450 horses under the hood. You got it souped up, but you only drive around in first gear all the time. I know Luke wouldn't do that. He'd be like, you know, in fifth gear all the time, right? And just racing around because that's that's fun. Well, to some of us it is. But it's like the Holy Spirit. You know, if we just kind of tool around in first gear and just really don't let the Holy Spirit have control of our lives, we're not really living life out as God had intended it. So what God wants us to do is just pray, Lord, fill me with your spirit today, lead me by your spirit today, And when you pray that, believe that when you start thinking things, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. When you start saying things, that's the Holy Spirit speaking through you. And then be obedient to it. Because that's what God wants. Jesus goes on here in verse 19. It says, A little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not a scare, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Knowing God's word, you know, reading God's word, keeping God's word. It's just so critical for you and I as believers. Having a daily regimen, even if you read, you know, one chapter a day, it's going to take you probably two or three years to read through the whole Bible. Actually, no, it's going to take you five years, to be honest with you. But one chapter a day, that's better than none. If you read five chapters a day of the Bible, you can get through the whole Bible in the year. Five chapters isn't that much. It's like 15 minutes. If you're slow, well, you know, get up 10 minutes earlier. Or you take your Bible with you at your lunch break or whatever. But get in that habit every day because it's God's word that cleanses us. It's God's word. How do we know to keep his word unless we know his word? Amen? So Jesus says to keep my word reading on here says these things I have spoken to you that being present with you but the helper the holy spirit whom the father will send in my name he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you peace I leave with you my peace I give to you not as the world gives do I give to you let not your heart be troubled neither let it be afraid you know Jesus says elsewhere when they say peace and safety look up because your redemption draws near you know the world is in chaos I don't I don't know if you guys read the news at all or listen to the news, or it's just it's weird. I mean, every time I turn around, Israel, the Palestinians, you know, the left, the right, you know, we have homosexual rights and we're losing our Christian rights, and we have our president going to third world countries and telling them that they need to give homosexuals more rights, and it's like, wow, it's just decadent. It's crazy. People are killing each other. People are, you know, getting richer and I'm getting poorer. It's just, it's crazy. But he says, peace I give to you. We're not going to have peace on this earth, are we? You know, you've heard, read the, or seen the bumper sticker, you know. You don't know peace until you know the Prince of Peace. You know, there's going to be no peace until we truly have a relationship with Christ. And we're truly not going to have peace until we die and go to heaven. But we can have that peace that surpasses all understanding as we trust God. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 is one of my life verses. You know, it's, it's, it says, you know, don't worry, but pray. And that peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 8, he says, you know, to meditate on these things, whatever is true. We I mean, just start with that. Just meditate on the truth and that we have that Peace. Jesus said in verse 28, you have heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I'm going to my father, for my father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes and when it does come to pass, you may know, you you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming and he, he has nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the father and as the father gave me, commandments, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. The ruler of the world, the prince of the power of the air, Satan. It's crazy. You know, it's lunacy, but he owns this world. So as we look to the Father, we look to him, God says, be obedient. Look over in chapter 16, verse... 13, it says again, however, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he will teach, he will not speak of his, on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of what, of, take of mine and declare it to you. So anything that you hear the Holy Spirit tell you that is to glorify God, even if it means that you think you're going to be a fool, be a fool for Christ. If it's not of the Lord, it's, you know, if it's satanic, if it's if it's you know, demonic, if it's rude, if it's crude, that's not of God. But if it means looking like a fool, that's okay. Because the Holy Spirit wants us to realize that he's an he wants us to realize that he's guiding us in all these things. And he wants us to speak forth these things. You know, there's a great cost in discipleship. Jesus says you need to, to deny yourself. You know, there's definitely a calling, but that cost is that, you know, we're not our own. We're not going to be popular. We're not going to have as many friends, maybe, but the friends that we do have are going to be good friends because they, they believe the way that the, yeah, that we believe, that it's the Holy Spirit that's working in our lives. But then there's the blessing, the blessings of obedience. I don't know about you, but gosh, every time I'm obedient and I, I see the Lord work, I, I'm amazed. I go, wow, you can use me, a sinner like me, a saved saint. So God's calling us to be obedient in relationships, the teachings, and the obedience of the word, and in service. Now, as, as disciples, he wants us to disciple, and I know that there's a great need. There's always a great need in children's church. You know, there's usually the same, you know, two or three people are in children's church, but there's a great need for someone to teach the kids. And if you have kids, for you to teach them at home. But there's service that God's called us to. You pray about it. Look for opportunities. Look for other people. Yeah, in in your workplaces. I, I I'm amazed at how many people have come out of the woodwork as I've let my light shine and they, they, they know I'm a Christian and they want answers. They ask questions. God can use us. But you know what? Don't be a closet Christian. Be intentional. Be intentional. I'm not saying you know, wear your Christianity in your shirt sleeve and you know, go, oh, the Lord rebuke you. You know, if you're in a meeting and someone says something off color, just go. You know, I don't laugh. There's times I just go, okay then. And I try to move on the, the subject. Or I try to be creative. I say, okay, Lord, you know, what can I say that's kind of witty and whimsical that'll diffuse this, but see people that people know that I don't believe in this. But let it start at home. Amen in home, in your workplace, in your neighborhood. and you know, one of the things that Brooke has done for years, and we haven't done it now for quite a few years because we've been traveling so much, but every year she would do these backyard Bible study classes, backyard uh, kids clubs, and the kids from the neighborhoods, or she'd go to someone's neighborhood and just, there'd be you know, dozens of kids, and she'd teach them the Bible. What a great way to disciple kids. And these are kids from really hard places. We've done a lot of inner city discipleship and down in Des Moines. And inner city there is not like it is in Long Beach, you know, California, or a place like that. But it's still, it's it's not green acres. You know, they live a hard life. But, you know, God knows. So my encouragement to you is if you haven't done it, do it. And don't make excuses why you can't. Just start praying. Okay, Lord, Wayne said that you want me to do this, so if you want me to do this, Bring someone into my life that I can disciple. You get prepared. Be ready because God will answer that prayer. It means some of the most unlikely people will come into your life, and God wants you to disciple them. God wants you to be a part of their life. Now, i got to explain to you something real quick before we do communion, but it's messy. Discipleship is messy because you open your life up to other people, and you open yourself up to some of the things going on in their life and that's okay Jesus dealt with messy fishermen Simon the zealot he was a terrorist the tax collectors they were liars they were cheats but Jesus did it we can do it he didn't leave us as orphans he sent us Holy Spirit he wants us to ask to receive the Spirit all these things right so can you do it yeah but I really encourage you to do it because that's where the body of Christ grows. Amen? Amen. So Lord, we just want to thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness and thank you, Lord, that you haven't left us as orphans, but you have given us a spirit. And so we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and fill us and just help us to be obedient. Lord, help us to just really seek you to know you, to trust you. Help us to be obedient so that, you know, we just give our lives and open our lives up to other people. And we thank you for those lives that you're giving us, and we just look to you, Lord. We look to you for wisdom and the ability to help people through this process. So, Lord, be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.